Welcome Dendrophiles. My name is Tonya Clark from Birmingham Tree People and today I'm talking to Simon Needle, Principal Arboriculturalist for Birmingham City Council and Chair of Birmingham and Black Country Wildlife Trust. We're outside at Hansworth Park enjoying the good weather and the wind in the trees and the sounds of cars going past. Simon, what are the main tree pests in the UK at the moment? Well, there's quite a few things around. I mean, I suppose the things that people see most often will be things like chestnut leaf miner and chestnut mm-hmm. leaf blotch. One thing that's definitely thing to, things for people to look out for at the moment is things like oak processionary moth, which if you're down in the south of the country is definitely a significant issue. Less so in the Midlands at the moment, but it is something that, you know, we did have some outbreaks here last mm-hmm. year. So this is the time of the year that we need to be looking out for them. It's also the time of year where they're most likely to be shedding hairs, which would be the irritants to us. So um, those are some of the main ones. Um, And then the other things are things like bacterial diseases, so things like phytopteras that might be starting to show on bilberry and and larch trees and chestnut trees. Right, right. What about fungi? Well, it's it's not a great time of year, really, at the moment to see fungi, apart from the perennial brackets. So you might see a lot of things like Ganoderma fungi, so those hard hard perennial brackets at the base of trees, uh, especially on things like beech. Uh, but also you might see the bracket fungi on birch as well, so the birch brackets right. uh, that are very common uh, signs okay. to look out for. Obviously we've always had pests and diseases on trees, so why is it a particular issue at the moment? I think it's one of the things, we, we, we've had quite a lot of new pests and diseases come over in the sort of last sort of 20, 30 years or so. Um, there was a very slow increase as those have naturally moved across the various continents, but with globalisation and the was mm. moving products around so you know you can ship things from China or America and have them here in a few days that's enabled those pests and diseases that are native to those parts of the world to end up here where there's no predators or there's very little resistance in our native tree stock because they've not evolved uh, alongside those pests and diseases so that's why it's a real problem because the impacts are that much worse because there's no built-in resistance. Right and has climate change had any impact? Definitely, yeah. I mean, a lot of the things, you know, if you think just in your garden, you know, with aphids and and that kind of thing, a lot of those would have been killed off over the winter if we have very harsh frosts. So they persist in the milder areas. But while our winters have been warmer and wetter, you know, a lot of these pests and diseases, they're just able to continue and multiply and you're getting a lot more survival rate over the winter. So you already start off at the beginning of the following year with a much higher level of of pests already. So their populations are, are rapidly multiplying and they're able to spread further up the country because they're not having to start from a, a much reduced base level. So, Right, yeah. and I guess would some of the trees be under stress because of a hot, long, hot summer, so they've not been under drought conditions and they just yeah, find it more it, difficult it, to fight it, back? Exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the drought conditions is definitely one thing that, you know, is having a big impact on trees. So, you know, those trees that were coming later into leaf, so this year, if we think about our ash trees, not only... Are they under under threat from things like ash dieback? But you know, when they were coming to leaf, we were right in the middle of a drought period. So, you know, they're already struggling. So anything like that weakens their whole immune system uh, and makes them more vulnerable to attack by other other pest diseases. So, you know, not just you know, if we get the ash dieback in there, then that weakens the system. They might be more prone to things like honey fungus attack as well. So you're getting multiple impacts on a tree at the same time. I mean when we think about the impacts of pests I mean obviously we don't want to lose beautiful trees particularly in an urban environment but I mean are there other things like loss of timber and 
some of them becoming more dangerous maybe, so having to be taken down? Yeah, I mean, things like ash. I mean, ash can be a valuable timber when it's in the right condition, especially for furniture making and for tool handles. But yeah, when you start to get ash dieback on it or, or as tr ash declines and dies, the wood goes quite brittle quite quickly. So it uh, has a lot of implications for the management of that. You know, if you start, if you're imagining you're going to be walking under the tree and, and, and working on it, you're risking branches falling out of it through, caused by the vibration that wouldn't normally fall out if the tree was still in a, in a healthy condition when you were harvesting it for, t for, for a timber crop. Um, so yeah, and again, you know, with those pests and diseases that are affecting the base of the tree around the root system, then yes, we are getting that potential for, for trees to, to just come over if the, the rooting's uh, impacted. I mean, I'd heard that the cost of sorting out ash dieback was going to be in the millions of pounds in terms of taking, surveying the trees, taking down the ones that look like they've been affected. Is that right? I mean, we talk about those amounts of money. Uh, it was definitely up in the tens of millions, right. yeah, if not, you know, probably more than that. I mean, you know, I think in Birmingham we're, I suppose we're, we could be said to be fortunate in as much as we don't have you know significant stands of, of ash trees with you know our woodlands aren't predominantly ash woodlands but you go over to the east of the country so over to Leicestershire and and uh, down to the south so Devon as, and, and Somerset there are significant ash woodlands over there often on steep sided embankments close to roads so there, there could be significant impacts not only on the road network there but the cost of removing those well with road closures and specialist equipment to extract it from those locations you know especially where you've got other, other factors as well, so like local nature reserves where you might not want to leave all that timber because of the, the, the ground flora that's there mm. is you know, particularly used to being in a more open, uh, nutrient deprived environment but all the rotting timber would add to that and so you'd get a change in ground flora. Yeah, so there will be a change to the landscape won't there if, if things, I mean like if, what's the worst one, emerald ash borer and there's, some, there's one that's in America at the moment is there? I can't well emer emerald ash borer is one that is in America yeah right. but it's also coming through Europe as well so well it's, it's sort of Russia into Europe so yeah. it's might make its way steadily across I mean whether it will make that jump over the over the channel right, who knows okay. you well, know Brexit, but you know, um, you know maybe that's one positive from Brexit is we might have more stringent restrictions on, on imports of timber you yeah, know and, and, and trees you know, we've certainly seen restrictions from 2012 on the movement of all ash that was embargoed. So you weren't able to buy or, or, or uh, sell ash trees within, within the UK or import them from abroad. Uh, and more recently, the same has happened with oak trees as well. So, so last year, there was a restriction on importing oak trees from, um, from places like Holland, where they've got big outbreaks of oak processionary moth as well. So, I mean, what I, I think you've answered a bit of this, but um, what can we do to stop the pests and diseases that aren't in the UK but I mean what can individuals do maybe? I think if, you, if you're looking to buy a tree try and make sure that if wherever possible get something that has been UK sourced and grown so that means you know finding the seed in the UK growing it in the UK I think in the past we've we've often said about it buying UK sourced trees or UK trees but what's happened is seed has been collected here exported to Europe grown and then the trees are imported back so you've got a UK provenance seed but the tree has been grown abroad and had the you know the potential to bring back pests and diseases so yes looking for something that has been grown in the UK if you can't do that then trying to find a, um, somebody who has good biosecurity protocols as well and has maybe had the trees in their nursery for maybe 12 18 months two years and grown them on so that's given them time to look for pe new pests and diseases 
and that way you know you, you know that you're not getting something that's imported directly from uh, from a, a nursery on the continent right okay and would you say you know when we are going back on holidays again to not bring anything back with you yeah exactly yeah i mean you know you do hear stories about people who've you know they've gone away to their their house in france say and uh, every time they go they bring back some firewood but they're only taking the trees that have died well why have those trees died what pests and diseases have they got you know they're bringing back a boot full of timber uh, so yeah it is really about being quite strict with what plant materials you are bringing back you know the, the, the more plant material you bring back the more likely it is that you're bringing some with you so seed sources has the lowest potential to, to bring pests and diseases back then bare rooted whips or bare rooted uh, plants you know but then once you start introducing soil with those there's that potential grows and of course the bigger the tree the more likely it is that you could miss something especially if you're looking for you know caterpillar egg you know uh, butterfly eggs or moth eggs that are you know microscopic in size you can't see those on a necessarily see those on a tree that's sort of like you know four or five meters tall you know, right. so. and so definitely no dead bits of firewood coming back from the continent that's, that's, that's always be. the safest yeah yeah thank you so much to simon needle the tree that i'm in love with today is the rowan tree it's a small tree reaching 30 to 50 feet tall and it's a member of the rosaceae family you can tell this as it has berry-like fruit so any tree that has like rose hips, apples, they're going to be rosaceae. Beautiful red berry-like fruits in autumn, which are full of vitamin C. Its Latin name is Sorbus aucuparia. The aucuparia means bird catcher in Latin, as the birds love eating the berries, and it was used as a lure to trap birds. The berries are actually palms and are yellow on the inside. They hang in large, dense clusters. It's not just birds, but also apple, fruit, moth, caterpillars and humans that like the berries too. They make a good jelly and the Scots and Russians make a spirit out of them. To be fair, in all my research on trees, there's not many trees that the Scots and Russians can't make some sort of intoxicating liquor out of. Rowan make good street trees as well, as they're small with sparse foliage good autumn colour and large cymes of scented white flowers in summer. Rowans grow happily in different places as they are very resilient. The rowan seeds germinate well after being pooed out by birds, sorry, avian intestinal transit. And this sometimes leads to flying rowans, which is when they start growing up in another tree in an epiphytic way. They're fast growing pioneer species, although they can live for up to 200 years. In Scotland, the rowan can grow at 2,600 feet above sea level. Growing at such high altitudes gives them the name of mountain ash, and also because their leaves do look like ash tree leaves. The leaves are pinnate, with 11 to 19 sharply toothed leaflets. The leaves are eaten by caterpillars of the larger Welsh wave and autumn green carpet moths. The wood of rowans is strong, flexible and yellowish grey in colour. It can be made into tool handles, walking sticks and it used to be used to make spinning wheels and longbows when yew wasn't available. Rowans can be coppiced and the wood used for hoops and poles. The bark used to be used in tanning and to dye fabric black. Now I need to tell you about the most important thing about rowans. 
more important even than their ability to brighten up our streets, to cover our mountainsides and to feed moths, birds and other wildlife. Of course, it's their ability to keep witches away. They're obviously great at it because you don't see many witches around. Rowans used to be planted next to cattle barns and houses to keep evil away. Twigs, pulled off and not cut by a knife, were made into crosses of equal length and tied with red string and put onto cattle to protect them. Small branches were also used to stir milk to stop it curdling. In Wales, the rowan is a sacred tree and was planted in churchyards. Rowans are common in Scandinavia too, and some say that the name rowan comes from the Norwegian runa, which means charm. Well, I'm absolutely charmed by these trees, and I think we should be planting more of them in our cities.